Hello, everybody, and welcome to Don't Burst My Bubble with me, your host, Josh Ascroft. In today's episode of the show, we're going to be breaking down all of the game ones that we've seen so far, that we got to see yesterday, which were overall just a, a great day of basketball. So very exciting stuff there. I will, of course, be giving you your daily injury report, as well as a quick preview of the games we have coming up today. Just wanted to say thank you to everyone that's listening. If you could share the podcast with a friend, with a loved one perhaps, or maybe someone you don't even like, but you know that they like basketball, then that would be great. I'd really appreciate it. The show is really steadily growing nicely. I woke up to a really nice morning of downloads, which made me very happy. So thank you so much for supporting the show. Without further ado, let's get right into things. This is Don't Burst My Bubble. Okay, so let's quickly start the show as we always do with our daily injury report. Recording the podcast nice and early this morning, so this is the injury report that was submitted last night at 5.30 Eastern Time on Monday, August 17th. So, for the games we have coming up today, at 1.30 Eastern Time, we have Orlando at Milwaukee. For the Bucks, Ilya Sova is out, that is all. On the Magic side of the ball, Mo Bamba is out. Uh, due to a post-COVID evaluation is what's happening with him, supposedly. Uh, Michael Carter-Williams is doubtful uh, with a tendon strain in his left foot. Aaron Gordon is questionable with a left hamstring strain. And Jonathan Isaac is, of course, out with that torn ACL. For the Miami at Indiana game, for the Pacers, Jeremy Lamb remains out, as does DeMontis Sabonis. TJ Warren is questionable um, with a right foot uh, plantar fasciitis uh, situation cited there. On the Miami Heat side of the ball, just uh, Derek Jones Jr. listed as questionable with a neck strain, which means that we should expect to see Jimmy Butler and Goran Dragic playing. So that's great news for the Heat. For OKC at Houston, as I mentioned yesterday, Russell Westbrook is out with a strain in that right quad. As of right now, it is not known when he will be able to return to play, but the Rockets are certainly hoping that it will be sooner rather than later. As for OKC, uh, Lou Dort is out with a right knee sprain, which is problematic for them because Dort was most likely going to be their best chance at defending James Harden. So we'll see how they deal with that. And finally, last game of the day is Portland at LA. Anthony Davis and LeBron both listed as probable. Rajon Rondo remains doubtful. And on the Trailblazers side of the ball, Zach Collins is out, as is Nasir Little. And CJ McCollum is listed as available. But of course, he has uh, that issue with his back going on. Okay, so let's talk about the games we had yesterday, because boy, were they exciting, other than the Nets-Raptors game, but we'll only briefly talk about that, don't worry. Okay, so the first game of the day that we had was Jazz Nuggets, which was surprisingly entertaining. I I didn't think that it was going to be this close, given the fact that the Jazz had Conley and Bogdanovich out. I thought that the Nuggets were ultimately just going to put it away by sort of midway through the third quarter. But the Jazz did a remarkable job of hanging in this game thanks to a historic performance from Donovan Mitchell who put up 57 points, 9 rebounds, and 7 assists. 
For those of you that don't know, that is the third highest amount of points scored by any NBA player in the playoffs in NBA history. It's only been beaten by Michael Jordan and Elgin Baylor. So it was quite a way to start the day. But ultimately, the Nuggets were able to walk away with a win due to the clutch play of Nikola Jokic and just phenomenal work by Jamal Murray toward the end of the game. Jamal Murray ended the game with 36 points, 9 assists, and 5 rebounds. Jokic had 29 points, 10 rebounds, and 3 assists. So really, this game became a battle between uh, Donovan Mitchell uh, against Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, and ultimately, two beat one. Uh, The 57 points from Donovan Mitchell, I think, is just a real great sign for the future for the Jazz. I think ultimately the Jazz are going to lose this series. I think that if you have a star scoring 57 points and you're still not able to walk away with the win, something's gone wrong there. If you didn't have Donovan Mitchell playing at that phenomenal level, I don't know who would have picked up the slack offensively for the Jazz, given that Jordan Clarkson had 18, which is around where he should be in terms of scoring. Joe Ingles had 19, which is probably above where he usually is in terms of scoring. Rudy Gobert had 17 points. So without Donovan Mitchell, let's say that he had a night where he just had 30 points. I don't know who on the Jazz would have picked up that offensive slack. I don't know if anyone would have done. On the Nuggets side of the ball, Jamal Murray is just so good in late game situations both him and donovan mitchell actually they were just trading buckets back and forth with with no team really able to get a stop for an extended period of time going into the fourth jamal murray is so confident he has great ability uh shooting the mid-range shooting contested mid-range uh his three-point shot looks like it's uh getting better he's like a 39 percent Uh, three-point shooter you could expect that to come up in the next few years to maybe 41 42 percent but he wasn't afraid by any means in those uh last minute plays uh and the way that him and Jokic can work off each other is fantastic you can run the pick and roll with them Jokic is able to pop out of that he doesn't have to always be the role man he can even facilitate the pick and roll because he's such a talented passer as a big man uh, and this this was without a particularly good game from Michael Porter Jr., who started the game really well offensively, but ended up being, you know, not even playable by the end of the game because his defense was so bad and the Jazz were just running directly at him. That That's the, the main takeaway from this game, was I think that the Nuggets weren't able to put the Jazz away sooner because Donovan just had an out-of-this-world best game of his career-type performance. And, you know, not all of the scorers on, on Denver were able to live up to the hype. It, it was funny, I was reading stuff online as the game was going on, and everyone was ready to crown the Nuggets with their new big three of Jokic, Murray, and Porter Jr. because Porter Jr. had eight quick points in the first quarter, And everyone quietened down quite a bit when uh, Porter Jr. proceeded to only score five more points for the rest of the game and played such lackluster defense that they probably would have been better off just not having a fifth man on the floor. They could have just had four people and it would have been probably about the same uh, work on the defensive side of things. That's really encouraging, at least offensively, for Michael Porter Jr. We saw flashes of defensive ability in the eight seeding games of the restart. 
but he's going to need to pick that up. If, if the Nuggets have any chance of making any kind of deep playoff run, then he's going to have to step up uh, his performance on both the defense and offensive ends of the floor. Jeremy Grant had a really nice game for them also. So really, the the Nuggets just have more personnel. They, they have more talent than the Jazz do right now. I'll, right now, the Jazz are like a... For what you would want for a playoff rotation, I think they probably have four guys right now that you feel comfortable, truly comfortable in, in, in a playoff situation late in the game. You can put Rudy out there, Donovan Mitchell, Jordan Clarkson, and Joe Ingles. I don't even think they have a fifth guy who you're like, yeah, that is a good NBA playoff guy. So that that's tough for them, especially while they still have Gary Harris and Will uh, Barton out for... Um, for the Nuggets too, so gonna be a, a rough series for the Jazz. I think. I think that it's probably maybe gonna be four-one. I can see the Jazz stealing a game, but the Nuggets are a much more talented and skilled team, um, and ultimately they shouldn't have much trouble getting rid of the Jazz relatively quickly. Okay, so we'll 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 quickly talk about Nets Raptors. It was a pretty easy win for the Raptors, uh, one thirty-four to one ten. Uh, with the Raptors having a like 30-point lead um, by the the third quarter. Nets able to fight back a little bit, but ultimately there's just nothing they're going to be able to do against the Raptors, I don't think. The Raptors play such tight defense, are so good at restricting the Nets, whose best offensive option right now is probably Karis Levert. And the way that they were throwing doubles at him, making him incredibly uncomfortable, pushing him towards uh, out of bounds, forcing him to make tough passes, uh, really shut him down. He only ended up having 15 points in the game. Jarrett Allen also had 15. But but Karras did have good passing like in the game. He had 15 assists. So like they, they forced him to make passes. He was able to make a lot of good ones. Uh, and Timothy Lawau Cabarro, the, the standout player of the Nets restart, had 26 points. On the Raptors side of the ball, it was a great day out for Fred Van Fleet, who had 30 points and 11 assists. The first uh, Raptor in franchise history to have a stat line of over um, 30 points and 10 assists in a playoff game, so congrats to him. And then just an all-round great performance by all the Raptors. Serge Ibaka had 22, uh, Siakam had 18, OG Ananobi had 12, Marc Gasol had 13, Kyle Lowry had 16. The Raptors are just a great team. I, I stand by what I've been sta- saying about them for, for weeks now. I think they're going to make the NBA Finals. They're, they're such a tightly knit team. Their defense is outrageously good. They can go for three, four-minute chunks for several times in a game where they're just they just decide, okay, we're not going to let the other team scored. It's very similar to how the Clippers play uh, on a lot of defensive possessions. I think the Raptors are even able to lock down better than them at times. They just have such a connection as a group, sort of like a, a one-mind mentality. It just looks like they all know where they're meant to be all the time. When you have guys who are so talented individually defensively, and you're able to bring them together into this incredible defensive system, You've just got to tip your hat to Nick Nurse and to these players for really committing to that because it's allowing them to win games, and the Raptors are going to have a really nice, easy first series. So 
Um, the the Nets, I think, will will be unlikely to win a game there. Who knows? Maybe they can come out with a heroic performance by J- um, Karis LeVert or Jerry Allen. Maybe they could possibly take one, but I think it's very unlikely. Celtic Sixers. So the the Celtics able to walk away with a win here, one oh nine to one oh one. And what was a really interesting game? I I think that one thing that we have to make note of is the fact that Joel Embiid didn't get nearly enough touches in the post. The the Celtics have no answer to Joel actually in the post. They have Daniel Tice and Enes Kanter playing minutes. I couldn't believe that Enes Kanter could even play in the game yesterday, given the matchup that the Sixers have with him, with Joel Embiid, with Al Horford, who should just be able to abuse Enes Kanter in the paint. But the Celtics did a really good, uh, really good job on help defense. They were utilizing double teams on Embiid, not giving him the space that he needed, forcing him out to the perimeter. And Joel ended up with 26 points and 16 rebounds, so it wasn't a bad performance by Joel by any means. I was just surprised at how little shots he had taken. By the end of the first half, he only took seven shots. Like, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown both took significantly more shots than, than Joel, and, you know, it, it makes sense that those guys are going to be having a lot of shots, but Joel should be having as many as, as those guys, like, if not more, because right now on the sixes, Joel kind of needs to be your entire offense. Like, sure, you can sprinkle in some help from Shake Milton and Tobias Harris, and Al Horford can have a good often, offensive game every now and then, but you're going to need Embiid to be... I mean, 26 is a a good result on the offensive end, but really, I think if they're going to win this series, they're going to need him to be up toward 35. They're going to need him to be closer to 35 than 25 anyway. And the the Celtics are great together. Obviously, I have to make note of the fact that Gordon Haywood uh, did walk away with an injury. Uh, He has a right ankle sprain. The team is uh, getting an MRI done on him today, so we're yet to see... Uh, how severe that sprain is. He did leave the arena on crutches, but we'll see how many games he's likely to miss. That is a big, big hit for the Celtics, who really run sort of a seven-man rotation for the uh, for the majority of the time. Uh, Haywood had 34 minutes uh, played yesterday, 12 points, four rebounds, three assists. Um, really competent guy on defense, too. And it's going to be hard for the Celtics to make up for those minutes, because... I mean, you you would think give them to Marcus Smart, but Marcus Smart played 32 minutes. So you would imagine now they're likely going to have to start Marcus Smart, uh, shift um, Jason Tatum up into the power forward position. Um, going to be going to be interesting to see how the Celtics handle that. While that I think adds a great defensive presence to the starting lineup for the Celtics, Marcus Smart is not the offensive player um, that Gordon Hayward is. Marcus Smart's offense has really been kind of bad since the restart, to to put it frankly. He had two points last night. He had a great, great day on defense, but he has been absolutely bricking shots from the three-point line since we've come back into the restart. But then look, because the Celtics are so great in their first six players and then the, the quality just drops drastically. Once you go past their top, you know, well, Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, Campbell Walker, Marcus Smart, 
I guess then you go Daniel Tice, and then it becomes Robert Williams, Brad Wanamaker, Ennis Cantor, Grant Williams. They need this team to stay healthy, and they've already had health concerns through Kemba Walker. We've been concerned about his knee since this came back. It should be stated, however, that he looked great yesterday on that knee. He was running around no problem, looked like he had great energy, played 35 minutes, had 19 points, so you... you need him to pick up somewhat on the offensive end of the floor without Gordon Hayward being there. You're going to need Kemba to probably be above 22-ish every night. Great performances, though, by the two leaders on this team in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Tatum had 32 points and 13 rebounds. Brown had 29.6 rebounds and 4 assists. If the Celtics are going to deal with this uh, Sixers team... They're gonna they're gonna need to do it behind Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They're gonna need them to have the same performances they had today over and over again. And without Gordon Haywood, I think that he's probably gonna be out for at least the next two games. I would imagine most of the time, a, an ankle sprain. They're gonna want to rest that for probably a week. You would think that he might be out the next two games. If you're the Celtics, it is imperative that you win at least one of those. I think that without Gordon Haywood, it, it could, you know, naturally you could drop a game. But to let these Sixers get up on you 2-1, not knowing necessarily whether Gordon Haywood is coming back for that next game or not, for that game four, I think the Celtics could see themselves in a very difficult position very quickly unless they're able to... Uh, come together as an offensive unit, have some more points from Marcus Smart and Kemba Walker. On the Sixers side of the ball, it's literally just like try and find offense from anyone that isn't Joel. Um, and I, I just don't think that Joel and Al Horford play. Like, it was bad enough trying to play Ben Simmons, Al Horford, and Joel Embiid all together. It doesn't work any better with Al Horford and Joel on the floor. They're, they're both centers, really. Al Horford isn't a power forward in today's NBA. So we'll see what happens with that series. I think it really could go either way at this point. It's going to massively depend on how serious the injury to Gordon Hayward is. And the last game of the night was the Dallas Mavericks versus the Los Angeles Clippers. In what was an incredibly entertaining game until the referees decided that the Mavericks didn't deserve to have their second best player on the floor and decided to eject him. For those of you that didn't get to watch, Chris S. Porzingis picked up two technical fouls in the game, which results in an instant ejection. His first technical foul came at the result of uh, he went up for a layup or a dunk, I believe. I can't remember which one now. Uh, he thought that he was fouled on that. Uh, it didn't end up getting called as a foul. He sort of pumped his fist in the air out of frustration, which in the NBA rulebook is, you know, it's technically a technical foul, but it's very rare in a game that you're going to see that upheld usually anyway. He was just airing frustrations. It was kind of ridiculous. And then the second technical foul that he picked up, uh, Marcus Smart was sort of, he fouled Luca, didn't let go of him quickly enough for Luca's liking, so Luca sort of pulled himself off, then they were having words. Porzingis came over to sort of get in Marcus Smart's face to protect his teammate, which I actually think is the right thing to do. 
generally, especially in a playoff game, but, you know, he should have been more careful given the fact that he had already picked up a technical. He ends up shoving Marcus Smart. Uh, Marcus Smart pushes him back. Not Marcus Smart, Marcus Morris. What am I saying? Sorry about that. I've just been saying Marcus Smart because I've been talking about the Celtics. He pushes Marcus Morris. Marcus Morris pushes him back. And before you know it, they both have technical fouls, and Kristaps Porzingis is kicked out of the game after just playing for 20 minutes. Let, let's start at the beginning of this game. So to start the game, the Clippers went on a ridiculous run. They started the game 18-2. to The Mavericks then went on a 48-18 to run, completely blowing the Clippers away. Their defense unable to do anything, and the Mavs actually putting on a good performance on the defensive end of the floor. Porzingis then getting ejected completely threw the Mavs off for that third quarter. And it wasn't a particularly high-scoring third quarter for the Clippers by any means. They only had 21 points in the third, but uh, the Mavericks only able to put up 13. Luka had a phenomenal performance. He had 42 points, 9 assists, and 7 rebounds. In case you're wondering, no player in the history of the NBA in a playoff debut has ever scored 42 points before. The previous highest was 37, 38, I believe. Uh, Luka outscoring that uh, by 4. He's had 42 points. He did get stripped 11 times, and that's what I really want to talk about the most. Luka's not going to have 11 turnovers a game in this entire series. However, the Clippers did set the tone for how they're going to be defending him, and they set it in the first five minutes of the game. It was brutal watching the start of this game. I started thinking, wow, the Mavs are really going to lose uh, by 20 points and get swept 4-0 and get, you know, lose by 20 every game. The Clippers' defense at the beginning of this game combined with the the Mavericks' cleared nerves uh, from being in their first playoff situation was was obvious. Um, And it resulted in just a catastrophe for the Mavericks, who unbelievably managed to get a lead by the end of the first. They were up 38-34 by the end of the first quarter, despite that horrific start in the first five minutes of the game. Don't count this Mavs team out yet, because I think that they could have won this game with, with Porzingis on the floor. They actually played really well in the clutch, uh, despite the fact that Porzingis didn't play. The Clippers did end up, you know, pulling away, but it, it wasn't because the Mavericks played badly at the, at the end of this game. They didn't. I don't think they got all the calls that they deserved, and, you know, Luka went to the free throw line more times than the entire Clippers team did, so... I'm not saying that he necessarily deserved a million more fouls, but there were some opportunities late in this game that I think that the Mavs should have been potentially at the free throw line for. On the on the Clipper side of the ball, quickly, let's talk about the individual stats. Kawhi had 29 points, 12 rebounds, and 6 assists. Paul George had 27 points. Montrezl Harrell looked, you know, fine. He only played uh, 15 minutes in the game, so... I'm trying to imagine how scary this Clippers team is going to be when Montrez Harrell is up to to full speed, playing at, at full conditioning. But don't count the Mavs out. 
this offense is legit, and it's legit in the playoffs too. Because the Clippers obviously want to win these games. The Clippers would much rather get this series done in four. The Mavericks definitely have the potential to steal some games here. With the way that their offense is running, trust the fact that Luka Doncic will 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 them to a win in this series, for sure. I think that this is giving me very similar vibes, in all honesty, to um, when Michael Jordan, you know, was playing against the Celtics, and he was, you know, scoring 40 points a game. This is back, I'm talking about, in 86, when he ends up dropping 63 in the playoffs. This gives me very similar vibes to that, where people are like, wow, look at this kid go. And then he took it to another level. He had that revenge game where he scores 63 points. I think that Luka has that in him. I think that with the way that that Clippers team beat him up in the first 10 minutes of that game, he went through like an entire off-season arc. I saw someone say this on Twitter in the first quarter of this game. Like he went, oh, okay, this is how the NBA playoffs are going to be played. Let me turn it, turn it up a little. And then he just played like Luka Doncic again. He's not going to have another 11 turn off, uh, turnover performance. And he talked about the fact that he had a terrible performance. Those were his words. He said, I played terribly. That's 11 possessions that the team should have had that I turned the ball over. And it's a great point. Let's say the, the Mavs only scored on, you know, five of those 11, four of those 11 even. The Mavericks could have won the game off of that. You know, it, it, it's not outrageous to think that, you know, they they end up scoring on 40 to 50% of those 11 possessions. Maybe they end up winning the game. That combined with Porzingis being on the floor, certainly going to help. I don't think Porzingis is going to get ejected again in this series. This was also his playoff debut. He had 14 points and six rebounds in the 20 minutes that he played. So he was looking good out there. But the Mavs, without Porzingis on the floor, have no rim defense. Like, no defense in the paint, really, at all. And also, they just lose the ability to stretch the floor as well as they can when Porzingis is there. They they lose their main role man in the pick and roll. They lose Luka's main running mate. So I think really good performance by the Mavs, given, given the fact that the Clippers came out swinging with that defense, given the fact that Porzingis was ejected. Don't count the Mavs out yet, but also the Clippers look great. They look great, great. The Mavs just performing at a much higher level than I think a lot of people expected them to this early in their young playoff careers. Oh, also quickly want to note before I move on to today's games, Luka did tweak his ankle. He had ice on it for a lot of the game when he wasn't on the court. I hope that he's able to stay healthy, is all I can say, because those ankles have clearly been bothering him. In the offseason, I'm saying he needs to start talking to Steph Curry's people. He needs to start getting these ankles checked. And I know that Luka loves to play in these low-top shoes. I am just begging him for him to find a pair of Jordans that he likes with ankle support. They exist, Luka. I promise they exist. Please, please just get some ankle support. I'm begging you. Okay, so the games we have coming up today, we have Magic Bucks, which I am not going to talk about very much because I think the Bucks will likely win by 20 points plus. I think that Giannis will play for 
28 minutes max in this game. I don't think the Magic are going to be doing all that much against them. Heat paces. Uh, it's dependent on whether TJ Warren plays. It's it's dependent on a lot of things. But I think that the Heat will walk away with this first win. I am most intrigued, not so much to see Jimmy Butler, because I know that Jimmy Butler knows how to play in the playoffs. I'm intrigued how Bam Adebayo is going to do. I'm really intrigued how Duncan Robinson is going to do. Is he going to be able to maintain this truly elite level of three-point shooting while we come into the playoffs? I don't know. I hope so. It'd be very fun to see as a kid who goes to Michigan. That would be great. Thunder Rockets, I am so excited about watching. Uh, I mean, it, it's unfortunate that Russell Westbrook isn't going to be playing. I think the Thunder will win this game. I think the they have no one to guard James Harden, but I think the three-guard lineup for the Thunder is going to be incredibly problematic for the Rockets. And the biggest question for this series really is the Thunder's five top guys are Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, uh, Danilo Gallinari, and Steven Adams. The question is, with the way that the Rockets are playing on the floor, can Steven Adams even play? Or are the Thunder going to have to take him out and try and replace him with another wing guy, which they really don't have? Because the Rockets play so small, Steven Adams could average 20-15 and 15 in this uh, series, or he could be completely unplayable. It's what everyone's talking about with this series. If, if they're able to find a way for it to work, for Steven Adams to be grabbing rebounds, uh, facilitating well out of the post, um, and sort of just dominating in the paint, he could, he could play. We'll see. I think that the three-guard lineup, though, could be a nightmare for the Rockets. I don't really know what they're going to do about that. But the Rockets also can defend. So, it, it, you know, expect to see them, you know, at a higher level of defense than you're used to for the regular season because they know how to do it. They just don't do it as often as other teams because they have such stellar offense. But if this game is close, I trust the fact that Chris Paul will put it away. I think the Thunder wins game one. And finally... Trailblazers-Lakers, it's going to be a fun one. Finally, we're going to see if this Lakers team have got themselves figured out because according to LeBron, they weren't mentally ready before you know the playoffs started. Hopefully they are mentally ready now. We'll see. On the Trailblazers side of things, you know, can Dame and Yusuf Nurkic carry on playing at a great level? How is CJ McCollum going to play with this broken back that he has? Um, he, he's really... I admire him tremendously for playing through what he's going through, but he is the second best player on the Blazers. They need him if they have any hope at all of winning this series. It's Dame time. I don't know what to say. I think Damian Lillard's going to need to average 50 to keep this close, but we'll see. I, I picked the Trailblazers to win this series um, in my predictions a few days ago on this podcast. With C.J. McCollum's injury, I'm now feeling less confident about that. But we'll see. I'm, I'm intrigued to see how LeBron and Anthony Davis come out swinging for this first playoff game. Uh, how much of a statement they're going to try and make with Game 1, because I think that's exactly what they're going to try and do. I think ideally for them, they blow out the Blazers in this Game 1, and LeBron gets to do a nice little speech about how they were ready now and how they're, you know, ready to chase this championship um, until the very end. So we'll see. Very exciting day of basketball coming up. 
I think the best game, the most competitive game, will likely be Thunder Rockets. But Heat Pacers and Blazers Lakers will be great also. If you have anything to do today, I suggest you do it from 1.30 to 4 while the Magic are playing the Bucks. Thank you so much for listening. I will, of course, be back tomorrow for your breakdown of all of today's games, plus your daily injury report and a preview of tomorrow's games as Game 2 of every series will start tomorrow, or Game 2 of half the series, I suppose, will technically start tomorrow. I will be back then. Thank you for listening. This has been Don't Bust My Bubble.